The secret to becoming a successful deal maker is follow through. And we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make it the show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here as always. Actually, uh, this is our official 201st episode. Uh, we had a celebration uh, with a live stream of our 200th episode on Saturday night, but it was actually our 201st live stream. But this is the actual podcast that will go out uh, as part of the podcast. I just want a, a brief pro programming note. We are no longer going to be live streaming on Facebook, although you will be able to watch it on Facebook. We, we will be sharing the YouTube live stream on Facebook to our Facebook page, to my personal page, and to some of our business pages. Uh, we are not going to be using the Facebook a live stream application that uh, is uh, part of this whole live streaming experience. Uh, I don't want to bore you with the details. I will probably do a blog post on that for anybody who is remotely interested in, in the minutia of the, the reasons why. Uh, but for now, the only difference for you, the listener, is um, the alerts to get get a reminder. Uh, you're going to have to go to YouTube and set your reminders there to be reminded of when the show was started. And you should know one o'clock uh, daily and 8 p.m. daily. It's not really that hard to remember. But if you want to set a reminder, uh, go to YouTube. Otherwise, uh, things will be kind of normal. The viewer experience will be uh, the same, except the chat room, the interactive chat. Uh, the stuff won't work on Facebook. If you're just watching the YouTube stream on, on Facebook and you go to comment on Facebook, uh, we won't see them here. So you need to comment on the YouTube side if you want to be seen. Today is the business edition. As you know, one o'clock we do business, and this is something a little different. Usually, uh, or often, I should say, we're dealing with things in marketing, team building, uh, culture, uh, how, to, how to basically uh, formulate your startup and what you need to do and, and all those kinds of things. Today, we're going to talk a, a little bit, uh, something very different uh, from all that. And uh, if you're a marketing guy, you might want to call Bernie from Mergers and Acquisitions and get him on the phone because this is going to be in his wheelhouse today. We're going to talk about what I think I want to call business flipping. I might, and I might be having that wrong, but from what I've read, that's my uh, understanding of, of what we're going to talk about today. I could be wrong about that. We'll find out. Uh, first, I want to talk about my sponsors. My sponsors uh, actually play right into this discussion. Fundwise Capital, you know about them. You've heard me talk about them for over a month now. Uh, a lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed. You can apply in 60 seconds or less online, and there's no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, uh, they can help you. They can help you get the funding, get the best funding you can qualify. The strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at zero, zero percent interest for nine to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding and bridge loans. Uh, they work with real estate startups, as I mentioned, uh, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business or project. you got a good business plan, get in touch with them. They can help you get the funding you need. Uh, to get started, it's very simple. Just go to apply.fundwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.fundwise.com slash minddog. The links will be in the description, and I surely do appreciate you patronizing my sponsors. As I mentioned today, we're going to be talking about acquisition, business acquisitions, which uh, is something I really, really uh, have zero knowledge in. So I'm going to be learning something today right off the bat. I'm, <laughs> I, I can't miss but learn something today. I hope you will too. Call Alan, uh, and I will want to talk to him about that name in 
in a minute probably says, well, that's a, that's a very normal name. Why, why does he want to talk to me about my name? Uh, Carl Allen is the founder of Dealmaker Wealth Society. He's an entrepreneur, uh, corporate dealmaker, and an overall really awesome dude who has worked with more than uh, 330 uh, tr- transactions worth close to $48 billion. Whoa. Carl has advised some of the world's largest corporations, such as the Bank of America and Hewlett Packard, on investments and acquisitions, and his career has made him one of the world's leading experts on, on buying and financing business acquisitions. So he has a lot of insight to offer us. And uh, right now, it's time to welcome him in. P- ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Carl Allen to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Carl, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. I loved your video at the start as well. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I, I get a lot of compliments on the intro. Uh, I did that myself. I played all the, all the instruments on it, did the video edit, and uh, I get a lot of people saying, where can I get one of those? Well, you can get one right here, um, but the price is kind of high. Um, no. Um, before I, I, and thank you for coming, by the way, uh, before well, we get started, I, I just a little self-indulgence here. Uh, Carl Allen is a very normal name. There's about a billion guys named Carl and their surname Allen is probably very popular as well. I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands of those in the United States. Are you aware of any significance of Carl Allen in, in like historical reference or towards uh, science, meta science, paranormal science and any of that kind of stuff? No, I'm aware of two other Carl Allens. Um, the, the, the char- there was a character, um, I can't remember the film, um, with with the the crazy guy, I can't even remember the name of the actor, but uh, he played. Um, th- there's a movie, and the the, the title of, of the main character of the movie was called Carl Allen. And then, uh, is there like a drummer or a or, or a, a very very famous American musician that was named Carl Allen? Uh, I think I think so. Yeah, uh, for me it has significance. My band was kind of named after Carl Allen, but uh, in a different kind of way. I'll give you a brief history. Uh, the Philadelphia Experiment. Have you heard of that? The Philadelphia yeah. Experiment. No. Really? Uh, time travel experiments from the 1947. Anyway, you've heard of UFOs. The reason Absolutely. you you. The reason you've heard of UFOs is because uh, there was a guy named Morris Jessup. I'm giving you a very quick story because I want to get into what we're here to talk about. Morris Jessup wrote a book in the early 50s, The Case for UFOs. And that book was mailed to the Department of Defense with uh, annotations in the margins. And it, it was physics stuff written on how UFOs might actually work. And so the CIA and everybody got really uh, pumped up on finding out who the who wrote these annotations. And it was a guy named who called himself Carlos Miguel Allende. And so the, the huge search went on for the, the infamous Carlos Miguel Allende to find out what he knew about UFOs. And the guy who was leading the search for Carlos Miguel Allende uh, ended up somehow finding out that his father lived across the street and the guy's name was actually Carl Allen and he was just using Carlos Miguel Allende. Yeah. (laughs) So Carl Allen is responsible for the whole UFO buzz, the Roswell stuff. There you go. There you go. Well, well, Hey, so I, I just Googled really quick. So, so Carl, there was Carl Allen was a very, very famous American jazz drummer. And then the actor in the movie was Jim Carrey, and the movie was called Yes Man from 2000. Oh, Yes Man. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Excellent movie. His character was called Carl Allen. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's it's a common name, but uh, Carlos the uh, Carlos Allende Trio was the name of my band for several years. So I just it, and when I saw Carl Allen, I was like, yeah, I really want to talk to Carl Allen. I didn't even know about uh, this stuff. Um, so tell me what it you know you were uh, basically a cubicle guy working in acquisitions for a major corporation and decided like a lot of people. Uh, they get caught up working for somebody, working 40 hours a week in this uh, no a- no access to the outside world. You're blocked in a gray cubicle. You really only have limited access to even fellow employees. And you're there thinking, boy, what is this my life has become? And how do I how do I turn it around and do something me- more meaningful with my life? Is it, Do I have that correctly? 
Yeah, it, it was actually a little bit more dramatic than that, actually. There was a massive moment that, that, that changed my life and, and, and put me on this course. So I, but I've always been a deal maker. You know, I, I've been doing this for 28 years now. I, uh, I graduated from university in 92. I went to work for a Wall Street investment bank. So I was buying and selling companies on behalf of other people. So companies like GE and IBM and Boeing. And then um, I spent some time in, in corporate mergers and acquisitions. I was working for Hewlett Packard. So I was buying and selling businesses for them all over the world. And then in 2008, my life completely changed in the space of about 10 hours. I, I was in Russia, I was in Moscow, and I was in a boardroom um, trying to close this deal. We were buying this business for HP. And, and my wife calls me. And she said, honey, you've got to get home. I've gone into labor. She was four weeks early with the birth of my son. I have, I'll show you my, my little guy. He's, he's 12, almost 13 now. So 1st of February, 2008, I get the dreaded call. You've got to get home. It's like a four-hour flight. You've got to get home right now because I'm going into labor. I'll wait as long as I can. So I literally runs out of the meeting room and, Luckily, I had I had my phone, I had my wallet, and I had my passport. I left all my luggage. It's probably still there. I've never been back. I, left, <laughs> I ran out of the building. I ran into the middle of the street. I flagged down a cab, which is not easy to do in, in Moscow, let me tell you. Anyway, I got to the airport. I got on the first flight. I got back to the UK. Uh, I had a police escort from the airport to the hospital. And I ran into the hospital. I'm running up the stairs. I didn't wait for the lift. And I burst into like the delivery room. And my wife's there, like 10 centimeters dilated. Like, where the hell have you been? Uh, <laughs> and literally within five minutes, my son pops out. And he's there. He's born. And I'm cradling this little guy. And he was so tiny because he was four weeks early. I'm cradling this little guy. And I, I just burst into tears. And, and I just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't work for other people and be at the beck and call of, of, of their needs when I, I have this beautiful new family that, that need me. So I called my boss and I quit. I walked away from a million dollars of stock options and bonuses. I just didn't care. Um, I was with my family and I thought, I'm going to retire. So I retired. I was 37 years of age. I retired. And literally after three weeks of changing diapers and all that good stuff. <laughs> I sat down with my wife. I said, I got to get back to work. I, I can't deal with it. I, I, need to, I need to go back to working. And she said, well, well don't go get a job. Go work for yourself. Be an entrepreneur. She said, why don't you go and start a business? I said, well, starting a business is the craziest thing you could ever do. The failure rate is incredible. It's 96% failure rate when you start a new business. So I'll, I'll maybe go and buy a business. Um, so that's what I did. I went and acquired a company. I leveraged all of my Wall Street skills in how to structure deals, how to raise financing, how to negotiate with sellers uh, to do deals. And I went and bought a small business. Um, and I've bought m many, many, many other businesses since then. I've bought them, I've grown them, and I've sold them. We'll talk about the, the business flipping piece in, in a minute because that's not really what i do to be honest but we can talk about that um and then um and i still do that today i still buy businesses in fact i'm i'm going tomorrow to close uh, an acquisition that i've been pursuing for the last few months but then uh, so that, that's what i do to make all my money and i love doing that but what i really love what i'm so passionate about is coaching is teaching this stuff so I've been doing this for so long, I, I I will unashamedly say I'm one of the best in the world at this. So I coach over 5,000 entrepreneurs all over the world to do what I do, to get out of corporate life, to, to get out of frustrating working for other people, to, to stop them creating a startup that's most likely going to fail, to stop them doing anything crazy. I teach people how to buy established profitable businesses 
without spending their own money, how to use other people's money. What are people doing real estate? How to use um, other people's money to do these deals. Uh, so that's what I do, and I love it. And I, uh, I'll probably do it for another 30 years uh, as long as I live. <laughs> that's a, a really interesting um, take on it, using other people's money to, to do this stuff. So my my first comment would have been, well, first of all, I took a huge leap of faith because uh, you now have more responsibility. Now that your son is born, you've got more responsibility than ever. And just to say, well, I'm done. Uh, at that point, you had to have, at least have had enormous confidence in yourself and your skills to be able to provide for your family without having to go back to that at that point. I don't think a lot of people are in that position that nece or necessarily have that confidence. Um, yeah. So, so now that's a really good point. And, and I think uh, it, it comes down to really three things that underpin that decision for me. So I think the first thing was I was very fortunate in that, Having had a Wall Street career and being involved in in corporate mergers and acquisitions, you know, I had an MBA. Um, you know, I, I I wasn't a poor guy. I I'd saved you know quite a lot of money. I, I'm quite frugal with my money as well, so I'm not one of these bankers that blows it on you know cocaine and prostitutes and all these different things. No, I, I, I'd save my money very, very wisely. So, you know, I, I had a good seven figures plus in the bank at the time. So I knew that, um, you know, I didn't need to work again if I didn't want to. Uh, the second point was that I, I, I knew that my skills were transferable. You know, buying and selling a billion dollar company is exactly the same as buying and selling a million dollar company. It's just um, different, different degrees <laughs> of freedom. The, the transaction is exactly the same. The, the major difference, and you know, we can talk about this if you want, the major difference though is is in the psychology of the seller. When you're when you're buying when you're buying a business that's worth a billion dollars, then really it's all about financial engineering. When you're buying a business that's worth a million dollars, from say a retiring baby boomer there's a lot more psychology comes into play because that seller doesn't care about money as much as you would think they care about legacy they care about a safe pair of hands to take the business over they they care about what's going to happen to their employees when they leave they care about what's going to happen to the name of the business can you believe right. the name of their business in some cases is worth more to them and the amount of physical money they're going to get on the day that they sign the deal over to you. It's crazy, I know, but I can give you so many case studies about that. So I knew my skills are transferable. Um, I had plenty of money behind me, but then something deeper was burning inside of me. Uh, I just knew that I had to do something where I wasn't at the beck and call of a corporate employer i'd been through that i'd done that i got the t-shirt i wanted something where i had freedom where i had a work-life balance that i would work if i wanted to work and, and and i knew that i could buy a business and have somebody else run that business for me i didn't people think that if you own a business you have to be in there every day you know cranking the wheel doing all the work that the business does you don't i i only work on my businesses, never in my businesses. I'm never the guy driving the bus. I'm the guy with the map right. pointing where the business has to go. I have people in all of my businesses that operate them for me. You know, I manage them. Um, I'm looking at KPIs. I'm looking at financial performance. I'm looking at leadership and building cultures and all those different things. But I can do that from anywhere in the world for a couple of hours a week i don't need to physically be in the business to well, be able to do there's that. A, a lot to unpack in there uh and before i before i get to that though because there, there's so much to unpack in there and, and uh, uh but before i get there and this may sound like the same question i just asked about your confidence it's not really but it's related your mission statement says 
something to the effect of we want we want to help you believe that you can achieve whatever you know, your dreams and 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 your aspirations and all that stuff but the key word i'm 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 looking for there is believe how important is that because we talked about your confidence a little bit how important is that as is that belief in in all this stuff uh because a lot of people don't believe it a lot of people don't have that confidence or belief at all and not everybody of course has has a lot of funding a lot of people who are living that cubicle life live paycheck to paycheck unfortunately Yeah. So, so for me, you know, but belief in oneself really stems from, I, I, I think, you know, the, the what and the why and the how of, of, of what you want to do. So, so it, no matter what you want to do in life, whether it's lose weight, fix a relationship, get a pay rise, buy a business, doesn't matter. It all comes down to three things. And if you nail these three things, um, your belief systems, about yourself will we'll just go off the chart. So the first thing is, you know, you've got to clearly define what you want. Um, so if it's a business, you know, what type of business you want to buy, where is it located, how big is it, what type of sector is it in, what do you want to do with it when you buy it? You've got to get super specific. It's like if you want to lose weight, it's, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds in 300 days and I want to lower my body fat by 3%, whatever it is. So you've got to get super specific on what you want to achieve. And the second thing that you got to do, and this is the most important, is you've got to quantify why you want it. And you know what's really interesting? Nobody wants to buy a business. Nobody wants to own a business. What we want are those deep emotional benefits that you get from owning a business. Right. And that, for me, could be very different for you. So it could be wealth creation. It could be work-life balance. It could be passive income or cash flow. It could be pride. It could be ego in some cases. It could be freedom. doesn't matter what it is. We all make decisions based on these deep emotions that, that are going through our subconscious mind. So it's really important that you understand, you know, why do you actually want this? Because once your why is defined and you've got that purpose, that gives you rocket fuel to burst through any limiting beliefs that you have about your own confidence you know it's like you know i said to a student once you know if if i kidnap your family and i hold them at gunpoint and i say to you you've got to close a deal within the next six days or i'm going to blow their heads off you're going to close a deal and that's (laughs) a crazy example but we've all got purpose inside of us and when you harness that that then becomes your fuel to make you push forward and and make you follow through because 99 percent of the world's population they don't follow through on 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 their goals and their dreams they don't and and the only reason they don't is they don't have that purpose they don't have that why that they should be doing it and once you've got the what and then you've got the why it's easy you just need a massive action plan you need skills and tools and and a framework or a blueprint to follow to be able to to get the goal that you want it's effectively modeling someone else's recipe so I, I think of myself like a chef and, you know, if someone wants to bake a cake, they follow my ingredients and my recipe. They do it exactly the same way that I will do it. Therefore you'll get the same result that I will get. But without that purpose and that drive, um, you know, you might not want to bake the cake. That That's the whole point. That's very interesting. I, I, I'm guilty of assuming that most people are, are who want to start their own business uh, have my motivation, which is I hate taking orders from somebody else, and I always think I'm smarter than the boss. And <laughs> that, that has been the reason I hated working for somebody for the, the 40 years I did it. Um, so I, I, I guess maybe I'm, I'm not as uh, – people aren't as much in, in uniform uh, belief of that situation as I am, because uh, what you just mentioned says, no, no, there are a whole lot of different reasons people want to work for themselves. I always thought that that that's the reason everybody wanted to work for themselves. But you mentioned buying all these other kind of businesses. Now, do you have to, because every business isn't the same. So if you're, if you're um, planning for a business, you have to learn about a whole new business that you have no experience in. Uh, what is, you know, what is that? 
what is the learning curve on something like that? So you're going to go buy a pizza shop. I'm just using that as a ridiculous example, but you have no idea what goes into making pizzas and what all that stuff is. You have to learn that pretty quickly before you buy it. And it goes the same with every single business you buy. That's got to be an enormous time consuming and um, difficult thing for, for you to do No. Well, there's, there's, there's two things to that. I, I think, let me ask that on two levels. So the first thing that I would recommend, and, and this is the biggest piece of advice I give to all of my thousands of entrepreneurs that I'm mentoring. So the first piece of advice I give them is buy a business in a sector that you know something about uh, and that you're passionate about. So if you're if you're a sales guy at IBM, you know, go buy an IT company. You know, If you're an engineer at GE, Go and buy a small engineering company or a manufacturing company. You know, don't buy a pizza shop or a laundromat or a gas station or something that you don't know anything about. You know, there's 2.44 million small businesses for sale right now, just in the United States. About half a million in the UK, where I'm uh, where I'm based right now. So 2.44 million. So any entrepreneur can afford to be selective. There's only one in 11 businesses that list for sale actually sell within the first 12 months. So you can be highly selective to buy a business in a sector that you know, that you understand, that you're passionate about. The only caveat to that is if you absolutely want to get out of a particular industry because you're sick of it, uh, but you're but um, and you want to buy something else that you're passionate about, but you don't know how it works, go and partner with somebody that knows how that works. I'll give you an example. One of my students um, works in IT sales. And I was chatting to him and I said, you know, buddy, go go buy an IT services company. There's like hundreds of thousands of them for sale. He said, I'm so sick of IT. I hate this stuff. I got to get out. I said, what are you passionate about? He said, I love wine. I'm passionate about wine, wine tasting and all those different things. He said, I want to buy a vineyard. I said, well, do you know how to grow wine? He said, nope. I said, well, said, okay, I can help you buy a vineyard, but then you're not going to know anything about growing wine. I said, why don't you go partner with somebody that knows how to grow wine and buy that business together? I said, because even if you buy that business and then you go and put somebody in to run it for you, really you want somebody that's got those chops that that can help you negotiate with the seller can help you raise the financing that you may need you know to buy the business so go and partner with somebody but most people if i'm being honest 95 percent of the people that i mentor they will go and buy a business in a sector that they know they understand they're passionate about and they can add value to uh once they've acquired it and then again one of the big principles i teach it's not to buy a business and be an owner operator. It's to buy a business and be an owner investor. So even if you knew how the pizza business worked, I wouldn't advocate somebody buy a pizza shop to go in there 10 hours a day making pizzas. I learned how to make pizzas last week, by the way. Um, <laughs> really cool. But, you know, I, I'd never, if I bought a pizza shop, um, I would never go in there and make the pizzas. I'd hire people to do that. Right. Um, and I'd work on the business not in the business. I, I understand that, man. I, I, but I still think you need to understand how that business works, even to work on the business rather than absolutely. working. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So go back to my example. If you're if, if you're a sales guy for IBM and you really know how the technology industry works, you know, to go and buy an IT services company, you know everything about the sector, the trends in the sector, how services companies work. You'll have a big network that you can plug into that business as well. Um, you can impart a lot of your IBM kind of knowledge, if it's IBM, into the inner workings of that business. So, so absolutely, if you stay within your niche, your sector, uh, that's a massive, it's going to be a massive advantage when it comes to buying businesses. Okay, so you mentioned that it's a buyer's market because so many businesses are failing. Now, yeah. the the obvious question there is, you have an MBA, uh, you've obviously had uh, 
however many years, a couple of decades of analyzing why businesses fail and what makes them viable. So some that analytical skill is part of determining what is a good purchase. And because some businesses fail because they're just bad models. And, and, and so you have to be able to determine uh, and that that takes some skill, like uh, almost MBA qualifications. Do you have to have an MBA to do the analysis to determine what is a viable business for me to buy? Which absolutely one? not. No, you don't need um, high school math is pretty much all you need from an educational perspective. Obviously, the more education you've got, the, the better. But education is not a barrier to getting into this business. When, when I talk about businesses that fail, 96% of all businesses fail. Um, there's nearly 7 million Americans last year started a new company from scratch and 96% of those will fail inside of 10 years. So the first thing I do is I only look at businesses that are over 10 years old because they've survived. And then right. what you tend to find is then they're owned by people in a lot of cases that everybody at one stage in time is going to want to sell their business. It could be that they're retiring. It could be that they're sick. It could be that they're dying in some cases. It could be that they're, they're bored or frustrated or just burnt out or, or they've run out of ideas. And that's what constitutes the fact that there are millions of businesses for sale at, at any moment in time. And then what you need to look at in any business is, is really you want to buy a business that's profitable. So if a business is making money, that tells you that, that it's a pretty good business, especially if it's been making money consistently over the last three, five, you know, even 10 years. You know, you don't want to buy a business that, that's in some trouble, that, that's run out of cash or revenues declining like crazy, because then you just got to go in and, and try and turn that around. You're better buying a business that's growing, that's got strong cash flows, got a good, healthy balance sheet. Uh, and is really doing well in its particular industry because the irony is the better the business, yes, the more expensive it is to buy, but the easier it is to raise money to be able to buy it. If you find a rundown shack in the middle of Idaho that's falling down and, and, you know, is is very dangerous, it can be very, very hard to raise money to buy it. You know, if you find a penthouse on Fifth Avenue in New York overlooking Central Park that's pristine, it's going to be pretty easy to raise money to buy that property. And it's the same thing um, in businesses. Um, so wait 10 years, got to be t- 10 years old at least, because then it's it survived. It's gone through all those trials and tribulations. You want to look for a seller that's highly motivated to want to sell for all the reasons I talked about before, then you want a business that's really um, really doing well financially. So it's profitable, it's got a strong balance sheet, um, and it's in a sector that you know something about. And then when it comes to analyzing the business, the technical term for that is called due diligence. Um, and you don't have to do that yourself. In fact, I recommend that you don't. You can hire an attorney and a CPA to do all of that due diligence for you and just to make sure that you're buying what you think you're buying and it's safe to buy and they'll protect you through that process. And then here's the best bit. You can pay their fees from the business once you've acquired it. You don't have to pay them personally. So, you know, having advisors guide you is is really, really advisable. It's like if you buy a piece of real estate, you know, you wouldn't do – the, the conveyancing, the legal piece yourself, you'd hire an attorney to do it. It's right, the same business, you know, bring in the pros that can guide you uh, and make sure you that you're making the right decision. So uh, even before we get to the next part, which is the negotiating and getting people to take you seriously when you have no experience in this, I want to get there. But just in finding the businesses, uh, how do people even locate is there like a directory of businesses that are for sale? Or I mean, I'm ta- I'm talking as a complete novice here who knows nothing about this. How do people even begin to do their search to find uh, viable businesses to buy? Yeah, so there's four primary methods of what we call deal origination. So this is the process of generating potential businesses for you to buy. So the first one, the most popular one, it's not my favorite, but it's the most popular one, is you're right. 
their um, the, the kind of Rolodex, if you will, of deals, uh, they are marketed by people called business brokers. So like real estate agents, there are hundreds and thousands of business brokers all over that uh, their job is to sell the business on behalf of the person that owns it. You know, bizbysell.com is the largest uh, online business brokerage. So they, they've got 70, 80,000 businesses alone. And then there's tons of others like Transworld and Empire Flippers and there's loads and loads of different brokers. So if you Google business brokers, then state or sector or whatever, you'll get pages and pages of brokers. So you click through, go through their listings and the ones you like, you click and they'll send you the, the information so that you can uh, you can investigate. So that's only the first method. Um, I don't particularly like working with business brokers. I'd rather do um, a kind of deal origination strategy involving a network. So what I do is I'm very big on building uh, relationship networks. Because what's really interesting, only about 20 to 25% of people that sell their businesses actually sell through a business broker. The rest of them, they sell through their network. And what's really interesting is if you own a business and it's come time for you to think, you know what, I think it's time for me to sell and either retire or go do something else. There's five people in the world that you tell. The first person you tell is your spouse. So, you know, we can't network with those people. But then there's four people that you tell. You'll tell your wealth manager, you'll tell your CPA, you'll tell your attorney, and you'll tell your bank or any other financier that's involved with you in your business. So what we do and what I coach my entrepreneur students to do is to build local networks of those people. And those people are called deal intermediaries. So we we have our people network with all of those deal intermediaries and they will send you deals. Um, That's the second part. The third method is leveraging social media. So 28 years ago, when I started in this business, we didn't have LinkedIn and Facebook and Google (laughs) and all these amazing tools that we have. We didn't even have the internet. I think think the internet had been formed, but it wasn't available at the time. Uh, Yeah. So, Social media is a killer source of deal flow. Just just going onto LinkedIn uh, and joining groups and networking through LinkedIn, I've bought some incredible businesses just by leveraging social media, even Facebook. And what's great about leveraging something like Facebook is you get to know a lot about the person right. <laughs> you're buying from and – I think that leads into your next segment when it comes to negotiation and right. and and having credibility. And it's all about building relationships. The stronger the relationship you can build with the seller of the business, the easier it is to buy it. Because right. you have to get them to know you, like you, and trust you. KLT. KLT is a marketing term. From direct response marketing for, for people to buy things from you online whatever you sell they have to know you like you and trust you through your copy through your positioning through your pitch and when you're buying a business it's exactly the same thing so you need to have trust credibility and rapport with a seller trust and credibility comes from again your industry background so again if you're if you're from the IT industry Don't go and buy a pizza shop. Go and buy a smaller IT company or partner with somebody that knows that industry. And then it's all about building relationships. It's all about getting to to know these people and and really understanding, you know, what makes them tick um, when it comes to doing a deal. Tell you a really quick little story about that. So I uh, I didn't buy this business in the end. Um, When I was doing due diligence, my lawyer told me not to buy it. There were lots of major issues with this business. But um, I, I, I found this business, and um, it was an engineering company in the UK. And I, I called this guy up, and I'm starting to have a chat with him. And the first 30 minutes of any conversation, 
I won't talk about the business at all. I want to talk about him or her. I want to know about them, what they do. And he told me in the conversation that he'd just become a grandfather for the first time. And he supported this uh, particular soccer team in the UK. Um, and it was his dream to um, put his daughter's granddaughter in like one of these little mini baby kits for that uh, for that team. and uh, But he couldn't find a kit. So I ended the call. I rang my assistant and I said, look, you've got to find one of these. And she found one and it was like $30. So I got this kit and I went to see this guy to meet him and look at his business. And I presented him with this kit for his granddaughter. And I even found out what the name of his granddaughter was from his Facebook profile. And I had it printed on the back with the year of the birth. And I gave it to him. And this guy hugged me, like bear hugging me. Like, he's like, he couldn't believe I would do something like that for him. So can you imagine the strength of relationship I had with that guy? Literally at the very first meeting, he literally would have done anything to sell me his business. Right. Um, in the end, I didn't buy it because the, um, as, as I said, there were things going on in the legals, which you know, I wasn't happy with. Again, that's why you need pros on your deals that can vet the business and make sure that you're not taking any risks. And my guy said, I wouldn't do this deal. Uh, there's some stuff going on that's not so, going to be good. So you broke his heart and you made him fall in love with you and then you, you left him I at the did. altar. <laughs> I, left him at the, I left him at the altar. But he, he and I are still really, really good friends. Um, in fact, the person that ended up buying his business, Tony called me to say, Hey, uh, can you check this guy out for me just to make sure that, you know, he's legit, he's going to be able to raise the financing and he's, he's going to be a good guy for my business. And, and I did, I, I, I called the guy it was called Paul and, uh, I had a good chat with him and, uh, I thought, yeah, you know, he's a good guy. He's, he's going to make a good go of this. So yeah, he, he ended up selling the business in the end. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a friend for life now. So, um, that's the negotiating part, but that's only half of the negotiating part because you can you're negotiating with the seller is the first part of it. Now, if you're using other people's money, you got to negotiate with the bank and how do you get those people to take you seriously? If you've been working in a cubicle your whole life and you have no real, um, you know, resume of, of buying or uh, acquiring businesses, if you want to use that terminology, you have no experience in that. How do you get the banks to take you seriously? Yeah. So banks are great in that they want to see that you've got industry experience. So, so take the SBA. So you have something in the US which is truly incredible and is not replicated anywhere else in the world. So you have the Small Business Administration, which is called the SBA, and the SBA has something called the 7A loan program. So the SBA will give you up to 90% of the purchase price of a business, up to $5 million, so you can make a massive closing payment to that seller. Their only stipulations are you've got good credit and that you have solid industry experience in that, in, in that business sector. You don't have to have owned a business in that space before. They just want to see that you've got, you know, really good knowledge and understanding and experience of being in that industry. So again, I'd use the IBM example. So the IBM guy, he would need to go and buy an IT company using that SBA funding. And it's the same for most banks, actually. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of ways to fund these deals. Um, you can get asset-based financing, so you, you can borrow money against, you know, the real estate in the business, the fixed assets, even the invoices. Um, you can even use the business's own cash to buy the business. And then also what you can do is when you're buying a business, let's say you're buying a business and it's, it's going to cost you a million dollars. You don't have to rock up to the closing table and sign a million dollar check. You can pay the seller over time. In some cases, you can pay for all of the business over time in installments. A lot wow. of sellers, if, if, if you build a relationship, they know you, they like you and trust you. They think you're a great person to take that business to the next level. You know, Remembering that 
most people that come to sell their businesses, they've spent more time in their businesses in the past 20 years than they have with their own family. So they want to make sure, it's like their child, they want to make sure that it's going to the right home. And, and also in some cases, it's not just the price of the business, it's also the terms of the deal. So um, if, you know, if, if I think a business worth a million dollars and the seller turns around to me and says, I'm not going to sell this business for any anything less than $2 million, I'll say, great, I'll pay you $2 million for this business, but I'm going to pay you over 10 years. I'll pay you $200,000 a year to buy your business, which means that all the cash flow that you are enjoying as the owner of the business, you can still enjoy in retirement because what's the seller going to do? Put the million dollars in the bank at 0.1%. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, they're getting regular income over time. And then that the security that we offer to sellers when we structure a deal on that basis is if if we don't make the payments as we say that we will, the seller just gets the business back. So it's like it's like leasing a car from Tesla. If you go to a Tesla and you buy a car and you just pay them every month. If you don't pay them, they'll just come and take the car back. It's exactly the same when you're doing a deal like that in business. And the term for that is called seller financing. So it's right. the seller that's effectively loaning you the money to buy his or her business. How common is that? Is that pretty common or not? Yeah, it's it's. I, I would say one in 10 to one in 20 times you can do a deal where 100% of the deal is seller finance, but I would say buying a business where some of the deal is seller finance, maybe up to 50% of it, is very, very common. I would say seven to eight times out of 10. Wow. So you mentioned the SBA, uh, uh, and one of the things that, that popped into my head was when you said uh, you have to have good credit. You're meaning personal credit, so they're, gonna, they're going to do a credit check on your personal history, or uh, do you build up business credit prior to applying? Uh, because, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had I had a guest on two two or three days ago who was all about building business credit and never getting your personal credit involved. And it seemed like a, a real I, I haven't followed up on it yet, but I need to go re-listen to that and kind of put some of his stuff into practice. But that just it was really interesting to me is is building your business credit and leaving your personal credit out, if at all possible, of of these kind of deals would be very advantageous. Now, please. Yeah. yeah, so if you're if you're going down the SBA route, the SBA is all about your personal credit because if you're buying a business using an SBA loan, you are borrowing the money from the SBA. If you're financing the deal through real estate financing or asset-based financing, or you just rock up to the bank and say, hey, I found this business. It's worth a million dollars. It's generating $300,000 of free cash flow. Lend lend me some money on the strength of that. They'll lend the money on the strength of the business, not as you as the individual. So in that case, it's the business's credit that's important, not the personal. But only when you go to the SBA, that's when it's all about your personal credit. And then the other way that you can finance these deals, we've talked about seller financing. We've talked about effectively debt, whether it's SBA or any other bank financing. You can do deals um, using equity financing. So you can partner with somebody that's got some equity, who becomes your partner in the deal, or you can go to, say, an angel investment network so, and that's a great way to to raise financing for a deal, especially if there's some maybe some gaps in your own skill set or your own experience. So, let's say you know something about an industry, uh, but you don't really have solid, you know, expertise in it. Go and partner with an angel investor that's got really solid experience in that sector, because then it's a two for one. It's a double jeopardy. You get the cash to do the deal. And you get their wisdom and their knowledge and their expertise to help you grow that business uh, once you've acquired it. So that that's a very, very great way of, uh, of getting financing into deals as well. Uh, I want to talk about because I in the in the introduction I mentioned uh, business flipping, and I'll tell you where I got that from. And I know you took 
a little bit of exception to that. So I want to explain where I got that from. In YouTube, when when you put a video on YouTube or schedule, like I scheduled this video to uh, on YouTube, they when you put in the keywords for the search, uh, they I have a tool that recommends stuff based on what you've already got in there. So I put it in Carl Allen and, and uh, Dealmaker Wealth Society, and it suggested uh, a, a business flipping, flipping your business, how to flip your business, where, like all the top ones in there. So uh, I know you said this is not really that, but YouTube and, and their algorithm identifies it as that. How is this different from uh, business flipping, which was which would also be similar to real estate flipping and all that stuff? How is yeah. what you what you teach different? Yeah, so so business flipping or real estate flipping is, is, is really where you're 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 taking over a business and then you're selling it pretty much straight away for some form of profit margin. So it, it's like you're buying a business for a million dollars and then you're moving it on for say one point two million uh, even on the same day. And in some cases, you actually never own the business; you're just brokering it from A to B. And that that's how the real estate flipping market works. All, I, th all I thought it, you had to. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I thought it was based on the premise that you have to do uh, some major improvements on it before you're able to flip it. So I, I can't imagine that being done in one day. Yeah, I, I was coming on to that. That that's another. Um, way of, of say real estate flipping you can buy a rundown property um, you can then renovate it and then sell it for a profit and you could do that with businesses as well so so flipping it if, if if you constitute flipping as buying a business growing and improving it then selling it then yes that's what I do but I don't do it in say a 90 day right time frame. I, I typically own my businesses at least three years, maybe five. So I, I'm looking for long-term, you know, long-term growth and long-term value gain. I want to have at least paid off the financing that I raised to buy the business. Right. And uh, it's all upside. So, so give an example. Let, let's say I find a business for a million dollars and I don't put any of my own money in. Uh, and I finance that business through the seller and through other financiers. So I, I've done that deal, and now I've got a million dollars of debt in that business that I have to pay off. So let's say after four years, uh, I now own that business free and clear. There's no debt in that business whatsoever. But I've doubled the value of the business to two million because I've doubled the profit, I've doubled the revenues, I've done whatever I've done. So when I come to sell that business in, say, five years' time for two million, all of that money is mine because I've not got any financing left in the deal that I had to repay. If you buy a business for a million dollars with a million dollars of financing and you come to sell it in three months, even if you get $1.2 million for that business, you've still probably got $950,000 of financing right. you still have to repay. So for me, it's not worth it. I'd rather get in and, and grow that business for uh, for a while before I sell it. So what would incentivize you to, uh, or is it just where, where you realize there's enough value in this now to to sell it? Or because it seems to me if you put that much work in it, you acquired a great deal. Now you've got a, a more profitable business. It's worth a lot more. Why not just keep it? <laughs> so what, what incentivizes you to sell? Just the fact that it's 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 really worth so much more than it was when I bought it. And so it, it's a good time to yeah. get out. So that, th this is a mindset thing for me and i'll tell you a really little quick cautionary tale so one of the largest businesses i've ever bought was was a huge corporate um uniforms manufacturer uh based in the uk like converting it to dollars by eight to 18 million dollars of revenue at the time so quite a quite a large company so my business partner and i we did that deal and um it, it was a great business we we made quite a bit of money out of it just being the owners and then we'd owned it about three years. And we got a call from one of our largest customers um, who basically, you know, was doing this new big rollout. It was going to be great. The business was going to carry on growing. At the same time, we got an offer to sell the company, which was quite a lot of money. And we turned it down. We said, no, let's ride this out. Let's win all this new business. Let's double or triple the size even more. And then we can sell. And that's going to be 
life-changing money. Um, a few months later, that client went bankrupt and we lost that contract and it completely destroyed our business. So wow. luckily, because we'd not, you know, we'd not taken on any credit personally to buy it. We'd not uh, put any of our money into that deal. We were able to walk away from that business. We we sold it for a dollar uh, just to get rid of it to somebody else. You know, we still made, you know, seven figures between us as the owners of the business. But that always told me, you know, always be a seller. Someone comes in with a big offer for your business, sell it. Sell right. it. And then because you never, <laughs> never, never know what's around the corner. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, I, I, there is a point where, you know, it's like anything. You got to know when to walk away. That's that's part of any any kind of uh, success in anything is you know when when to walk away from a deal too. Um, so with your mentorship uh, and uh, dealmakerwealthsociety dot com is where you're going to find out about the stuff. The links will be in the description, of course. Uh, how does it start? Do you have a? It's like an online course that you teach, or is there a physical course? What? Yeah. So we we have a whole portfolio of. Um, training and educational products and systems to coach and mentor entrepreneurs through through this journey. Um, what I would suggest, though, that the, the, the first kind of step for anyone curious in learning, you know, what it takes to become a deal maker, what are the what are the steps involved? You know, how does the, the business really work is um, it's, it's to read a copy of my book. Uh, no money down business buying secrets. So it's like $30 on Amazon, but I've created a special $5 link for your tribe and for your audience that is very curious. I I would give the book away, but the problem is if you give it away, no one will read it. Right. I, I'm, I'm down with it. You know, I'm totally down with that. As a music producer, I know when I give away my CDs, people are going to use it for uh, like a, a uh, you know, a, one of these to keep you <laughs> keep your drink on it and yeah. never put it in the CD player. So yeah, absolutely. So I, I've, <laughs> I've got a link for your uh, for your tribe. It, it's trainwithcarl.com forward slash mind dog. So that's okay. trainwithcarl.com forward slash mind dog. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll put that link in the description. Make it nice and clickable for people. I appreciate that, and I'm sure they will too. And, and it's it's a great uh, offer. So they start with the book. Um, and it, when it comes down to the course, though, is there any qualification? Like, I'm this. I'm sure this can't be for everybody. So do they have to qualify to take the course in any way, or or show any way that they're, you know, qualified? Or, or they're just serious about this? And it's just because so many yeah. people get involved in these things. And don't yeah, see it through. Sure. Yeah. So, so the only qualification for us is we, we want people that are motivated. Uh, we want people that are going to follow through with this. But obviously, we're giving out incredible intellectual property that we've created over the years. This is basically 28 years of my life's work distilled into an implementation system that somebody can follow and buy a business without using their own money. So we only want people that are really kind of motivated. And as I mentioned throughout the episode, uh, really, you know, you want to be buying a business in a sector that you know and that you understand. It, if you just want to go and buy a laundromat or a gas station or, or, you know, whatever, a comic book store, if you've no industry in the space, you know, don't. Go and buy something in an area that you know that you can understand that you can have value to because it makes it so much easier and so right. much more fun. Yeah, um, I, so that's what we recommend. I get that. So, but what about financial? Because as I mentioned, a lot of these cu people who work in cubicles, I know I was one of them. Uh, you end up living paycheck to paycheck and probably have a, a 650 to 700 credit score or even less sometimes is that is that uh, a qualification for getting started where where do you have to be do you have to have some money to invest you know where is it it, it always helps if you've got a little bit of cash that you can put into the deal uh, that always helps but but most of my students are doing deals without using their own money whatsoever um some cases because they don't have any or other cases that you know their husbands and wives you won't uh, won't let them spend it. I know when I bought my first business, it was a transportation company. My wife said to me, "You know, I don't care what you do, just you know, not, don't spend any of the family money 
acquiring this business. You know how to raise capital. Go go raise it from other people, which is obviously is what I do. In terms of credit scores, uh, if you're going down the SBA route, uh, I think you need a 690 as a minimum score. Um, if you're not going down the SBA uh, and you're using all the other financing methods that we talked about, your personal credit uh, doesn't come into it. So um, it doesn't matter. Gotcha. Uh, two more questions. One is, uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot of business in the U.S. Do you do worldwide? Because a lot of my uh, my second biggest audience is Australia. I'm just asking, are we worldwide or are we just U.K. and the United States? No, four, so four countries. So U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. Australia is a great country for doing deals. I've, I've owned multiple businesses in, in Australia. There's, there's not as many businesses for sale in Australia as there are in the US because clearly, right. whilst it's a huge country in terms of size, there's there's a very, very small I, population. I think it's like the state of Florida as far as population goes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sub 20 million people. Right. Uh, so uh, it's a fraction of the US, but uh, but no, uh, finance is very entrepreneurial down there as well. You can, uh, some good deals to be done. And what about, so with the mentorship, though, is there personal, like, I, uh, we talked about reading the book first, and then there's a course that you teach, but what about follow-up after that? Is there personal mentorship that they do with you, or do you have team members who kind of uh, follow up with people, or, or once you graduate oh, the course, you're I, on your own? I, I, I do all the mentoring with my business partner, Adam. We, we do the mentoring, and we have a bunch of other coaches as well, and we do it all together, but we don't do it one-on-one. Um, it would uh, it would be too expensive for people to hire me as, as a personal mentor. We do it in a group, uh, in a small group format. Great, great stuff. Well, thank you for for this time. It's been really insightful. Uh, something honestly, I didn't really even know. Uh, well, I knew you can buy businesses, but I didn't know it existed as a uh, way for for regular guys in the cubicle you know regular people working a nine to five to escape that i think and i think most people are are like me in the in the idea that you think about that as you have to be uh pretty rich to even get involved in that kind of stuff and be be a deal maker from the beginning so it it doesn't seem like and obviously you had that experience but uh not everybody does and that's a great great uh message and an inspiring message i guess yeah. So, so th- thank you for your time, and I, I wish you, you know, more success. And obviously, you don't need my wishes for that. You're doing very well on your own, but I, I wish you continued success. And, and thank you for coming. Thank you very much, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thanks, and thank you for the the code too. I will definitely share that. Thank no you. Problem. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye now. Have bye. a great day. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by VaporDNA. Founded in 2013, VaporDNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. 
They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code OrionQ. Carl Allen. Uh, wow. That's all I can say about that. Wow. Um, the big part of this is, uh, you know, seller financing. We talked about that uh, with, with Dave Seymour on the house flipping stuff. Um, that's a, the major part to making this work is using other people's money to make this happen. Uh, of course, we didn't get into the specifics of how that uh happens in order to know that you got to read the book and take the course so i definitely recommend you uh read the book i will put the link in the description uh before we go live with the audio podcast so you'll have it there when you're listening to this and so i would start with the book if you're interested in this at all and interested in buying businesses and building your wealth that way uh this sounds like a great way to start hope you enjoyed this program i hope you tell your friends about it i hope you come back subscribe go to my youtube channel subscribe there uh and uh, go to minddogtv.com get on my mailing list and questions and comments for me of course info at minddogtv.com till tonight when my uh guest is steve satani who is an uh, arizona-based comedian who does a uh podcast which is all about uh bad advice or a comedy advice uh podcast and so that should be interesting he's a fairly new to stand up uh he does uh some skit sketch comedy and improv and stuff like that uh but it should be a fun light-hearted hour at 8 p.m tonight join me then till then i'm matt napo for the mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming uh, enjoy the rest of your day and bye for now i'm the kind of guy who likes to sleep in late I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to wait If you can handle that, we'll get along just great Cause that's the kind of guy I am I'm not the kind of guy who likes to start a fight But I've never been accused of being too polite Cause I've got strong opinions about wrong and right That's the kind of guy I am And I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't I might just have a stroke That's the kind